Welcome back to the Successful Diligence Podcast. I wanted to make sure that you were aware of how valuable you are to us and me here at Successful Diligence as a listener of the podcast. It means so much that you allow me to provide value through the podcast and that you listen and you show up and you invest your time. It means the world to me and I so appreciate it. One way that you can show your appreciation for the podcast, if you've gotten any value from anything we've ever said um, in Sode, is you can support us financially so that we can continue to provide the value that you've come to know from the Successful Diligence podcast. And it can be literally less than a cup of coffee a day, 99 cents per month. That's less than a dollar per month, all the way up to five, ten dollars, however much you want to give. But as little as a dollar, less than a dollar, 99 cents, that would make such a difference to us. You can go to the show notes and you can click the link where listener support is highlighted. Um, There's different links in the show notes. Or you can go to anchor.fm backslash successful diligence backslash support and you can sign up there and literally it's one time per month 99 cents less than a cup of coffee and yet you would be having an impact on supporting this podcast to bring more value reach more people to have a greater impact in the world and we appreciate in advance any support that you're able to provide again anchor.fm slash successful diligence slash support or you can click the link in the show notes and show your support financially we appreciate it and we thank you in advance Welcome back to the Successful Diligence Podcast. I am so glad that you're back for another episode. Tonight is going to be super fun. It's going to be super educational. And I've got a very special guest here. Joel Hawbaker is a blended family coach, an award-winning teacher, an author, a speaker, and a frequent podcast guest who's almost up to 100 episodes, guys. (laughs) He loves helping blended families and step families overcome obstacles and grow by teaching them the 10 commandments of blended family life. I'm really interested to learn more about that. These are universal principles that families can apply immediately to begin seeing positive changes. Now, he has studied and played soccer at both Covenant College, which is in Georgia, USA, as well as Oxford University, which is in England, UK. He has a BA in history and a passion for literature, as well as a love for sports. And when he's not busy speaking, writing, teaching, or coaching, (laughs) Joel is longing for the day when he can go on his dream vacation of visiting Hobbit Town in the Shrier. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Joel is a divorced oh, and remarried father of good. two, and he currently lives in Alabama, USA, with his wife, his two daughters, and their two rescue dogs, Bruiser and Butterscotch. And we are going to learn so much more about him in this interview. <laughs> Welcome, Joel, to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's it's really fun to get to write my own intros because nobody has any idea how much of that is just blatant lying. So that's a lot of fun. That no, is thank hilarious. You. Thank you for having me on. I really am excited to chat with you tonight. Um, 
yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I've done a lot of stuff and I, I do a lot of stuff all at one time. So it's fun to, uh, to throw some of that out there. I am super excited to talk with you. And we've had a conversation listener beforehand, which actually could have been a podcast episode. (laughs) And so I knew that I had to schedule him for two. So this is one of two, part one of two. But Joel, for all of my listeners who are not Mm -hmm. familiar with you, who may not have heard of you, who are you? How did you get to do what you're doing? And just give us a little bit of background. Um, so I am, uh, I'm a lot of things. Uh, I am a school teacher. I'm about to start, um, year 15 in the classroom as we record this. Um, I look, I, it's for those of you who watch the video, you can tell I look like I'm 15. Okay. It's absurd. I shaved the other day. I am, I promise I'm almost 38 years old. Uh, I have a 16 year old and a 13 year old daughter and I did not start having kids when I was 12. Um, but Anyway, yeah, so I'm a school teacher, I'm a soccer coach, but I also do a lot of work with blended families. I've done some professional speaking, I've written a couple of books, working on another one. Um, We're, you know, married, divorced and remarried, uh, very happy dog owner, like I am all of those things. Uh, But more than any of those things, I am a person who has been blessed beyond what I deserve. And so what I really would like to do is try to help other people. Um, You know, like we talked about before, is you hear coaches and, and teachers talk about paying it forward. Well, that's it. I've been extremely blessed. I've spent most of my adult life getting to do jobs that I would do anyway if I were independently wealthy. I love to teach. I love to coach. uh, I love to be around the game of soccer. I love to help out with blended families. And people pay me to do all of those things. And I feel really blessed to get to do that because of in my growing up and, and after my divorce, before I went back into teaching, I've also done a lot of crappy jobs that I hated. And I don't mean the jobs were crappy because they're bad. They just weren't for me. So yeah. I spent time as a bartender and a security guard. Um, I spent time as a, a UPS worker and I spent time as a warehouse manager and a, a shipping clerk. And, um, you know, I've been a bag boy and I've been a, a landscape guy and I've been a lifeguard and I've been a, um, uh, I've been a soccer recruiter. That's been pretty cool. I mean, I've done a million things and some of them I truly loathed. Uh, and some of them I, I, I really enjoyed, but most of them, I mean, I learned from all of them. I, you know, I, I learned from being a firefighter. I learned from being a construction worker and it's fun to tell stories about that stuff. But really, I just, I'm very thankful to be where I am because I love all of the things that I do. And I feel like there's a very small percentage of people who get to say that. Uh, and so I do, I feel, I feel really, really blessed. And again, this is just one aspect of, of loving what I do. I love doing podcast interviews. I love sitting down and talking with people it's a ton of fun. So thank you again for having me on. I'm looking forward to our conversation. And I, I hope that some of your listeners will laugh as much as we did the first time we <laughs> talked. That was just a blast. It really was. And I'm sure, I'm sure they will because, um, you know, the way that you describe things, I think, is not only just truthful but, and real, but also humorous. And I love that. And I don't know, and let me ask you, have you mm-hmm. always had that sort of personality where you look on the bright side, you have a learning sort of mindset and you laugh at things or is that something you developed? I would say that's been pretty present most of my life. So there's a great book I strongly recommend to everybody, but especially people in blended families. It's called The Birth Order Book by Dr. Kevin Lehman. Okay. And if you haven't heard of it, check it out. It's eerily accurate. Uh, basically, he talks about how where you are born in the birth order, first kid, middle kid, you know, youngest kid. And if you are the same gender as the one older or younger than you and how far apart you are. And, um, and he describes people's personalities with uncanny precision. 
And, um, and so like I'm a middle child. And so I have a lot of middle child characteristics where I am a, uh, I'm a, I'm a on stage, give me the attention, make people laugh. Even if like, that's how I hide some of my insecurities, you know, Chandler Bing style. Um, and, but there's a lot of truth in that. And I've also, I've always had a pretty sunny disposition. Um, my brother used to tell me, I got an older brother, younger sister, and my older brother used to just be furious. I mean, he told me I lived a charmed life. And he said, honestly, it's, uh, this is his line, so forgive the crudeness. He says, you know, it's almost like when you fart, you fart sunshine. And that's just absurd. <laughs> Not rainbow, <laughs> like, sunshine. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was farting sunshine. I thought, you know, I mean, I'm, I've been very blessed and I'm very thankful for it. And, and I would love to say that everything has been roses and butterflies. And, but we've also talked like I'm divorced and remarried. After yeah. my divorce, I went through bankruptcy. I went through foreclosure on a house that I bought for my family. Um, you know, my ex-wife had primary placement of our kids for two years. So I got to see them two days out of 14 and whenever she would let me. And so I've been through some of that stuff. Um, but I, I'm, again, I'm very thankful to have come through the other side of it and again, get to do stuff that I love. And, uh, and so, you know, a large part of what I try to do is just focus on the positives. I know it sounds really ridiculous, but if you, uh, if, so during quarantine, my daughters have gotten me really into the television show Parks and Rec. So if some of your listeners or, or, or audience members are familiar with Chris Traeger. Um, there, there are some days when I feel a little bit like Chris Traeger, like I'm just happy to be here and I'm having a good time. So let's have a good time. Yeah, I love that. I, and it's, it's, de it's a definite choice and an intentional mindset to have. Um, so I definitely want to unpack that a little bit more. But I've got mm -hmm. a question before we go there. Sure. In that book that you mentioned in the birth order, what if you're yeah. an only child? Do you have all That's of the characters? No, it's great. See, he actually describes that one as well. My older brother married a first or a married an only child. And so they have very distinct personality traits, some of which are very similar. Hmm. A lot of times a first child and an only child have similar characteristics because they were the sole focus of their parents' attention for at least a certain amount of time, whether it's two years, three years, eight years, whatever. Um, and so they're also a lot of times they're more independent minded. They're uh, a lot of times they're more internally driven because they didn't have other people around them to do stuff with or to encourage them to do stuff in terms of like playmates. Um, and so it's, I'm telling it's just really interesting when you see that kind of stuff. My, my wife is a youngest child, her older, brother their oldest sibling in that family also married a firstborn child of three and so or four i think and so it's really funny when you see marriages to look at the dynamics of the birth order in terms of yeah. how that marriage relationship looks because sometimes they get along really well because they're similar and other right. times like how did those two get married <laughs> Ooh. And I yeah. wonder also if like male, female, cause like for me, yep. I was an only child. Okay. I have a brother, but I, he didn't mm -hmm. find me till I was 32. And so I wow. grew up an only child. That's a story I I'd like to hear. I'll be honest. <laughs> well, and we can get into that, but I, um, it's funny cause I have a lot of characteristics of definite, you know, firstborn, independent, mm -hmm. strong leadership, all of that. Yep. But I'm also very animated and mm -hmm. like attention, but I'm an introvert. And okay. I'm also kind of like a baby. So I feel like I have all of them. <laughs> yep. It's possible. And the thing is a lot of them overlap yeah. um, or, or they will display themselves in different situations. So for example, what you just described is actually a lot of professional speakers. A lot yeah. of people think that professional speakers are all um, kind of like me. Like I am outgoing 99% of the time, unless I'm like really sick or exhausted, this is me. And that could be a lot for a lot of people. It works well in the classroom with like jaded kids. Um, but you know, in a professional setting, I have to tone it down so I don't come across like I'm, you know, hopped up on Mountain Dew or something, um, <laughs> or something else <laughs> yeah, or, or something worse. Uh, but it is, it's, it's interesting because a lot of professional speakers are actually introverts, hmm. but on stage, 
they can come out because they're having a conversation with a lot of people that they, right. they're not actually having to interact with one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. And then when they get off stage, oh man, they need to go recharge by themselves somewhere. And I didn't know that until I learned that from some other professional speakers that I've connected with. There's a guy named Grant Baldwin who runs something called the Speaker Lab. And he's, he's brilliant. If you're looking to get in professional speaking, I recommend Grant to everybody. Um, but he, uh, he's that way. And he's described himself that way on his podcast where he talks about a lot of speakers are actually introverted. They love being on stage. But then when they're off stage, like, I got to go somewhere and unwind and recharge. And I'm exhausted from you people, you know, kind of a thing. But yeah, I, yeah. this quarantine has been hard for me because I get my energy from being around other people. Yeah, like, my husband's I, like I, that too. Yeah. He's like an, he's an extrovert and yep. he he's an external processor as well. Yep. And it's yep. funny because he was the baby that okay. has definite leadership and he's the only boy yeah. also. So yep. it's that'll do it. Yeah. But it's really personality just fascinates me. That's why I went into yep. social work and psychology okay. and all that kind of stuff. So it's just so Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, check out that book. We'll talk about it next time. It's so good. Yeah. You know, like, definitely. You'll, look, you'll be reading it and you'll go, It's like this guy watched me grow up. That's <laughs> how get in my head. I'm telling you, it's good. So going back to unpacking now, because I know um, for my listeners, at least, and, and listeners, you know, we talk a lot about mindset, a lot about being intentional, mm -hmm. and a lot about what you focus on, you get more of, and you can choose, yeah. you can choose where your life destination ends up by the choices that you make. Mm -hmm. And so when you were, you know, going through that hard time, those, mm -hmm. that, that valley, that those dark times, how did you respond internally, externally, and then how did you make any shifts in your, mind, in your mindset or did you even have to? Yeah, well, I definitely did because, you know, I'm human like everybody else and it's certainly easier to focus on the negatives and it's easier for those negatives to spiral and spiral and, and snowball, right? Um, but the, the first book that I wrote is an ebook. It's called uh, Extraordinary Leadership, 10 Things Dad Taught Me Without Saying Anything. Uh, my dad was a 20-year Army veteran. He got drafted in time to go to Vietnam and get shot at for a year and a half. And then he enjoyed the military despite that and stayed in for 20 years, retired as lieutenant colonel. He was 82nd Airborne. He was an Army Ranger. He won three Bronze Stars. Like, he was a bad dude. Um, but he also was one of the kindest people that you would ever have come across in the whole of your life. And he told me, or, or just sort of, I don't know if he ever said it out loud, but one of the things I really learned from him was this idea that you – control your thoughts and your emotions you can either control your emotions or be controlled by them and that means and the other another thing you mentioned to me or, or really displayed was you get to choose what kind of mood you're in every morning when you wake up you get to choose how you're going to start your day are you going to start your day grumpy because you're tired because the alarm went off are you going to start your day thankful because your alarm went off and you have stuff you get to do today right and and it's a choice and it may not be easy to make that shift but it is a conscious choice and the more effort we put into it the more benefits and more results we're going to see from it and i would love to say that i've done that perfectly my whole life that'd be a giant fat lie uh but in general um there's a and there's another part that goes with it um you mentioned you weren't really sure what hobbit town in the shire was and i chuckled because it's um you're going to forgive me for being pedantic um it's it's pronounced hobbiton um, it's, it's where the hobbits, it's where Bilbo Baggins lives in, uh, the Hobbit and it's where Frodo is from in the Lord of the Rings. And some of your listeners are going, yeah. And some of your listeners are going, yeah, just shut up. Like Bird me, like I have no idea what too. that is. I didn't watch okay. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> no, it's fine. The thing is in that book, there's a great quote. That's what all this is leading to. There's gotcha. a great quote in the Lord of the Rings where one of the characters says, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And I love that. That's become kind of a life philosophy for me as an adult. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Not just our actions, but our attitudes and our thought processes. 
we all have the same amount of time in a day. You'll hear people talk about this. Like we got however many thousands of seconds and hundreds of minutes and whatever it is. But the truth is that's exactly right. It sounds cliche, but it's true. We all have the exact same amount of time. The question is, what are you choosing to do with it? And, and right. honestly, a lot of the time, I choose to try to enjoy it as much as I can. I hate cutting grass, but I, <laughs> but I, I love a good excuse to listen to my audiobooks uninterrupted for an hour at a time. Hmm. I, hate, a I hate doing dishes and laundry, but I love listening to podcasts and audiobooks and things like that. And so I'll do those things. I'll pop in my, I, I still use an iPod Nano. You're, again, you can laugh at me for that. I'm, I do know what that is. <laughs> okay, good. Some of you, again, some of your listeners are going, God, it's like this guy is stuck 20 or 15 years. Yeah, I'm a history teacher. This is what I do. But I love a good excuse to listen to my audiobooks, to my iPod. And so, like, yeah, if the house needs to be vacuumed, I'll vacuum. Let me grab my iPod. Yeah. I need to do dishes and laundry. Let me grab my iPod. Like, that's fine. It's, so find a way to enjoy what you're doing. Um, the, book that, uh, the other book that I wrote, um, Inverted Leadership. Um, I actually wrote that book in my car. Uh, I have a 45-minute commute to and from school. It's an hour and a half total in my car each day. And what I did is I outlined the book. And then each, each day for about two or three months, I would write out uh, a couple of bullet points for a chapter on a three-by-five card and put it on my steering wheel. And as I'm driving to school, I would record that book out loud on an old uh, miniature cassette recorder like a newspaper reporter from the 90s would have had. And, uh, and so that was how oh, I wrote wow. my first book was just record, you know, it's an hour and a half in the car and yeah. I would normally use it listening to audiobooks or podcasts, but I really wanted to write this book. And so the question was, what was I willing to give up right. in order to get something better? Because as much as I love the audiobooks, the, the book was something that's going to last. Right. And I wanted that. And so it was like, well, I'm going to give up this other thing that would be temporary pleasure for something that's a longer term goal. Right. And, you know, and that's let me, let me, let me jump in here. Cause I know you, I know you can keep going and I want to, I want to, I want to unpack a couple things. Um, yeah, do because it. you're, you're shooting wisdom bombs like pew, pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I want to highlight is that you very strongly implement the, I get to attitude. Mm -hmm. And it's something that is intentional and is a choice. People have to develop it though. Oh yeah. I know absolutely. You've always had this sunny disposition and all of this, but when you were in pain, when you were going through the divorce and you were losing your family and you were, your life was shifting and changing and your whole, you know, world as you knew it was shape was changing. How did you every morning when you woke up and you were grumpy, you were in pain, you were angry, whatever the emotion was, how did you choose to be positive and choose the I get to and choose to go forward positively. Well, I, I will, again, I'll fully admit I failed a lot of mornings, um, but I did try to focus on the things that I was getting to do that I hadn't done before. And this, I hope people don't take this the wrong way, but um, when we went through, when, when I went through my divorce and I didn't see my kids as often, what that meant is I had a lot more hours in the day to have to fill. And so I got to choose how I spent that time. So I'd spent it doing things I hadn't been able to do when my kids were around all the time. So I watched a lot more sports. I ate a lot more junk food. I played a lot more pickup soccer, um, you know, and some of that was good for me playing the soccer and, and that kind of stuff. Some of it wasn't good for me. And I put on about 45 pounds in a couple of months and, and that may not seem like a lot. You can't tell I'm sitting down. I'm only five foot three. And so I got up to almost 200 pounds. Um, and that was, that was pretty fat for a short dude. Um, and that wasn't good for me. And so I, what, what it became really was a question of focusing on the long term, because when my kids weren't around, the question became, what can I be doing that will make me a better dad when I see them again? 
because I, again, part one of the, and there are lots of reasons for my divorce. One of them is because my now ex-wife felt like I was pretty harsh with our kids. Um, and I was, I'll fully admit that I, I was trying to raise my kids the way my military father had raised my older brother, myself and my sister. And there wasn't any call for that. I had two very soft hearted little girls and I was way stricter and harsher with them at very young ages than I needed to be. I spoke harshly with them and I was, I was super stern and strict a lot of the time with them. And, um, mostly when I was in a cranky or a bad mood, which was yeah. a lot of their lives cause they were little, uh, this, I mentioned this before, but the, the same week my younger daughter was born, we found out my dad had terminal cancer. Oh my gosh. And, and my dad was my hero. And so for a lot of my little girl's lives, I was really cranky because dad was either dying or dead. Yeah. And that was hard. And, and unfortunately I took that out on my family. Hmm. And so, again, I would love to say that I did all these things really well in the midst of the dark times, but the truth is I, I didn't, and I've learned from that how important it is, right? Were you aware of your grieving process? Yes, and, yes and no. Um, I was aware that I was hurting. Mm. I was not aware of how often I was taking out that hurt on the people closest to me because I was also, you know, I was in um, – I was harsh with the students that I was teaching at the time. I was harsh with the kids that I was coaching in soccer and basketball at the time. And I thought it was just because I really wanted them to be good. And the truth is they were just a convenient target. And I was immature and did not, I did not control myself the way I should have. And that's something that caused a lot of issues. Yeah. Well, I'm sure. Did people give you feedback or how did yep. you know? I mean, yep. So oh yeah. Feedback? No, my, my ex-wife gave me plenty of feedback and I didn't well, really want to listen direct. to it. Yes, she was. And again, I, so, and I, I say that as a compliment, I, I'm never going to badmouth my ex-wife. There's no point yeah. in doing it um, because it's not healthy for anybody. I know it's a convenient thing for a lot of people who are divorced to do, but I don't recommend it. It's bad for you. It's bad for your kids. It's bad for them. No, she was very direct with me. She told me plenty of times that I needed to talk with someone that I needed to do something to get my anger out, that I was taking it out on our kids. And honestly, I just didn't believe her because I'd always been this sunny, cheery guy. And I thought, but I love my kids. And I, and I was good at the gentle dad stuff too. Like I, listen, I got good at painting nails and I could braid hair and I could play tea party. I could do all those things. But the instant that they did something that inconvenienced or bothered me, I was way harsher in my response than I needed to be. And I didn't see that. And it took years before I did. And even now, we're still dealing with some of the fallout from it because I've hurt my kids in ways that it's going to take a while for them and me to be able to work past. And so it's caused, you know, it's caused some long-term issues that, that are my fault. Yeah. I think that's important to notice, not, not just for you, but for everybody that when we hurt other people, it's not just like a one and done. Oh, forgive me. I'm sorry. It actually is a process to work through from yep. both sides because yep. I'm sure once you realized what your impact on your kids and your, your ex-wife were, I mean, oh, that's got to hurt you as well, you know, to I'm know telling you, you what, the people you love. I would never in my life purposefully harm my kids. Every, every decent human being and parent knows that um, and, and feels that same way. But unfortunately, a lot of the times the hurt we cause is unintentional. And because these are the people you're closest to, you can do the most damage to them. And again, those are things that, um, so I, I first became a dad when I was 21. Uh, I got married the first time when I was 19. I was halfway through college. And right at the beginning of my senior year, we found out we were pregnant with our first daughter. So my entire senior year of college, I just turned 21 in October of my senior year. So I started when I was 17. 
Um, so I was 21 years old. I had a full-time job, a part-time job. I was a full-time college student on scholarship, so I had to keep my GPA up. Oh, and I had a pregnant wife. Talk about stress and pressure. Forget yeah. the fact your brain even hasn't finished developing developmentally because right. you're only 21. I mean, wow. Right. 19. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, and, the, and I was also really arrogant enough to think that I already knew everything I needed to know. Like, I <laughs> honestly, I really did. Like, I wish, I wish 37 year old Joel could pull 21 year old Joel like behind the woodshed and just beat him. <laughs> like, you are not that smart. You are not right. that good. You need to listen to other people. That's what I would tell younger Joel. Yeah. He wouldn't listen, but I would tell him anyway. But that was, you know, that was how it was. And then um, in May of 2004, when I graduated, within a three-week period, I got my college diploma. Um, my younger, my, sorry, my older daughter was born, and we moved 500 miles from Chattanooga, Tennessee to Fayetteville, North Carolina. And I started full-time job as a high school teacher and a head soccer coach at a little Christian school up there. And again, that's a lot of responsibility for a 21-year-old person, whether you want to call him a kid or a man, really depends on your interpretation, 21-year-old person to have. And, um, you know, I did the best I could. There are plenty of things I'd go back and change now because I look back and I think that was stupid. That was stupid. That was stupid. But if someone had told me that, I was too arrogant. I probably wasn't going to listen. Um, you know, and it's just, and so it's those kind of lessons that now I look back and I think, I don't want to be that guy anymore. I don't want to do that again. I wish I could take back all the ways that I'd hurt my kids. I actually have gone back and apologized to my ex-wife for certain things because I realized, you know, it's probably 15 years too late. But I, I have realized in this particular instance, I was, I was in the wrong. I never would have admitted that when we were married. How did she really, respond to that? She's, you know, I mean, she was kind. She was gracious. She said, okay, thank you. No, I mean, that was nice at least. And it was, you know, it was. She, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, she, yeah, okay, thank you. But it wasn't like, it wasn't like she was still stewing on it. Yeah. You know, but I appreciated though, it. What I, and I, listeners, you know, I always say this to you that whenever we go through our life journey, you can't give what you don't have and you can't have something that you don't own and you can't own it unless you've lived it and experienced it. So hmm. obviously all of your work with blended families, you almost had to go through this process and this journey yeah. to really be able to empathize and know it so that you could give that gift to other people of your experience and that intimacy of knowing what it's like. So, you know, I yeah. think that the fact that you can look back and acknowledge, yes, I was wrong. This is where I was able to heal. And then I could give that, you know, offer that to other people and then sort of learn from it and grow. And I think that all of that is just a beautiful patchwork of gift to the world. You know what I mean? I hope so. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I, I lived as a teenager in a blended family as well. My parents divorced when I was in eighth grade. And then about a year later, my, my mom started dating my stepdad. So I've seen it from both sides. I've seen it as a, as a young person whose parents divorced. And then I've been through it as an adult with kids. And now as an adult with kids, who's now remarried and, and been remarried for over six years. Um, and so I do, I have a lot of empathy for blended families. And, and then we've got other kind of blends as well. My, um, my wife's older brother has two biological kids and two adopted kids. And then my older brother has two biological kids and a foster son. So there's all different kinds of blends. You got foster families, you got adoptive families, you got divorced and remarried families. We got some friends who they have a blended family and they have like six kids yeah. and three are hers, two are his, and one is theirs because she was a widower he was divorced and they got together with their four or five kids and then they've had one or two more. There are so, there's, so many dynamics in that. Yeah. I mean, yep. and plus also I, I know from our previous conversation that your stepfather was African-American. So you yep. also had that interracial yep. dynamic yeah. in, in Alabama the in the nineties. Yes. Yep. <laughs> in Alabama in the nineties, right. which is not 
not common. <laughs> yeah, we, so we talked about this. I'll mention it for your viewers. I'm a white guy in Alabama, right? So I'm as far from experiencing racism as you're likely to get. I fully, <laughs> I understand that, and that's okay. The thing is, in the 90s, the only time I ever really even saw a glimpse of it was with my stepdad. Because he and my dad, they were 20 years apart in age, because my dad was 10 years older than mom. Mom was 10 years older than, than Brian, my stepdad, right? Um, other than being 10 to 20 years apart in age, they were almost the same guy. Because they were both retired military, they were both airborne, they had similar personalities, they were, they could be stern, like they could be army officer, but they could also be just capable of goofy humor. And I, I love them both dearly. My dad's been gone now for, um, actually it'll be 12 years um, next week at the time of this recording. Um, dad's been gone 12 years. Um, that's hard to say, wow. Um, you know, but, and Brian's still around. I, I just checked in with him a couple of days ago and um, I'm really thankful for him. But yeah, my dad was five foot ten, 160 pounds, you know, pale skin, red hair. Brian is about six feet, six foot one, 260 pound, former college bodybuilder, wrestler, football player. Um, and so, yeah, when he and I, like when he and my mom and I would go places, people would look at him because he's a big, huge dude. And they'd look at my mom, who's about five, three and look at me, who's five, three. And they kind of go, something doesn't add up. He can't be, he can't be his. That this can't doesn't be right. match. Which one doesn't this is, belong? <laughs> one of these things is not like the other. Like, you know, the blues clues kind of a thing. Yeah. That's the only time. And so I remember going out to eat one time and we went to a local restaurant. I don't want to say which one it is because I don't want to throw people under the bus, although maybe I should <laughs> because maybe it's different now. But we went to this restaurant. This is probably 97 or 98. And um, we walked in, mom and uh, Brian and myself uh, and my little sister, Julie. And um, most of the restaurant was empty, but they took us to a back room. And we sat in this table with a back room with three or four other tables. And we looked around and we realized most of the restaurant was empty in this back room, four other three or sorry, three other four total mixed race couples. And I remember looking around and going, are you serious? Like that's the only time I've ever seen it personally. You know what I mean? And it wasn't directed at me. It was, it was at my mom and my stepdad. Yeah. But, but that's I remember very looking at that going, are you kidding me with this? Yeah. And I, I didn't really notice it. It was either my mom or Brian pointed it out. They kind of looked around. They're like, okay, so this is how things are. Good. That's fan. Thanks guys. You know, cause look, cause Brian's brilliant. Like he was a jump master in the army. He was a major. He's, was he, he was from a, the um, South though. Like, was he used to that? He was originally, I think he's originally from New Jersey and then oh. lived in Virginia for a while okay, uh, before so he, he got East stationed Coast. in Alabama. Yeah. Um, and, and, but the, like, he's got a master's degree. He works for Merck and makes stupid money. Like he is a smart dude. Yeah. And here they were just, but well, that's a mixed race couple. We're putting them in the back. Well, I mean, that's what prejudice and racism is. It's, it's judging it, based on just what you see, not what really is, but, actually is. It's infuriating. Again, and I've never been the object of it other than like mm. the short man syndrome. So like, I've never experienced <laughs> racism, but when it comes to people judging you based on appearances, like. So when I walk into a classroom of students who don't know me, I am immediately judged because I look like I should be in high school. I've seen that when I've helped teach college classes. Like I used to work at Duke Tip over the summer and help teach some of those courses. I've seen that as a soccer coach. When I walk onto a soccer field with a bunch of huge college or high school guys, they look at me and kind of smirk, right? Because I, I'm five foot three, 155 pounds or whatever. And, and so I, I, I see a tiny, I'm not, I'm, please don't hear me comparing my experience to the experience of being a minority. That's not the idea. But just in terms of like, I've seen a little bit of what it's like to be judged based on your appearance. Now, it's not at all the same thing, but I just can't believe that that's a thing that people do to the degree that they do it to. Because we all, we all do that. We all judge books by their cover. Yeah. And I, for me, but come and, on. And 
and, I, and I'm biracial, so I know that I know that I know, and people can debate me on this if they want to. Every single person, human being walking this earth has prejudice. We yep. all prejudge, yep. period. Yep. That is very different from racism. Racism is systemic. Yep. It is something that um, is different than being prejudiced. And okay. yes, the two are connected sometimes because but you they're also distinct. Generally, can't be a racist if you're not prejudiced. You know what I'm right. saying? Yep, <laughs> they're yep. going to go together. Yep. But you can be prejudiced without being a racist because 100%. you might have the power. And yep. there are. <laughs> For those of you that can't tell, another car just drove by. So that was why we're, we're not laughing at prejudice or racism. We're laughing at the car that went by. Ooh, trying to get us in trouble. That's great. Thanks for that. The white guy in Alabama needs trouble with being prejudiced. Thank you. And if you're watching, if you're watching this in the school, you will see me cracking up because my my uh, office is right near a window. And of course, Murphy's Law. Whenever I'm recording a podcast interview, motorcycles, big trucks go by, and I have to like mute my microphone. So that's what's going on. So that is fantastic. We're not laughing at racism and prejudice. Definitely not. However, <laughs> however, um, I do think that um, I don't remember what i was saying you were talking about how they're related but different yes because racism is systemic and so you know black people cannot be racist because they don't have the power they don't have the that that institutionalized power to implement racism however i have been on the receiving end of black people being prejudiced against me hair light skin white all of the things so i think there's prejudice on both sides Mm. and we don't always like to acknowledge that and there's prejudice like you said against short people tall people you know what you know where you live southern people people make assumptions about where you live in the south oh my gosh you know everyone when i tell them i'm from the new york area oh you are rude no i'm just a direct communicator i'm not rude i mean i can be if you want me to be (laughs) right this wasn't rude i can show you rude this right right so i think it's important to acknowledge that and what i love about sort of your style of being as a human is that you're very open to the truth of who you are and accepting Mm. that even if there are flaws there because we all have flaws right yeah and what i also want to go back to a little bit because you you what you do really well is you sort of keep going and and kind of dance around it is the grief process because when you're in a blended family when mm-hmm. you're in a family of, di- my, my family's divorced and I okay. grieved for years about not having a yeah. father. And it still comes up because grief is a lifelong process. Yeah. And I say that as a clinician, <laughs> you don't get over grief. It sort of changes. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm coming out with a book called The Pebble in My Shoe, which is. Ooh, kind of- that's, I like that title. I, I look forward yeah. to that. That's awesome. And so there were a couple moments when you were sharing your story where talking about your dad being gone and there was that moment there of grief and then there was also talking about the hurt that you caused your ex-wife and your or your former wife I I don't like the word ex because I the first wife and your your kids um Mm -hmm. talk to me about how you deal with that grief process because there's seasons to it yeah so there's a couple things um when and i love what you said about how grief is a lifelong process because i completely agree that um you know people say that time heals all wounds and i think that's true in one sense and not true in another i think it's true in the sense that time helps you learn to deal with it better if you um if you consciously work on that i don't think that it ever takes the pain away Um, i think the pain dulls i think the pain changes um but there will be moments when it catches you um when you didn't expect for it to um and so for me, what that looked like is um, 
we knew that dad was going to die long before he did. And he went through all kinds of stuff to try to extend that time. He, uh, he went through uh, chemo and radiation and he even did a stem cell transplant at, at Vanderbilt university. He was actually older than they normally do those for, but he was in such good health physically. They wanted to give it a shot. Um, and so uh, we were glad for the time that we got with him, but we knew that it was coming. And honestly, in some ways that makes it easier. In some ways it makes it harder. Uh, I did an interview with a lady not long ago who lost a, uh, a daughter at less than a year old and every single day could have been that little girl's last. And so she said the same thing. Like in some ways it was easier because we were preparing for it. The grief started before she was gone. Uh, and I love the way she said that because that was exactly right. It's what happened with my dad. And in other ways it makes it harder because the anticipation of it drawing out like that almost makes it harder. And so it's not a comparison of who had it harder. It's just an issue of it's different if you lose someone suddenly versus not. I was thankful to have gotten to spend time with my dad right up until the end. I was thankful to get to say a lot of things to him that I wanted to say. Um, I was thankful to learn from him right up until his last couple of days. And uh, like, I mean, less than a month before he died, he taught me how to keep a box score. He, he and I were lifelong. He was a lifelong baseball fan. He played baseball in college. I played baseball all the way up through high school. And um, so that was something special he and I did. And he taught me how to keep a box score. And right before, I mean, a week, maybe two weeks before he died, he pulled out some old copies of box scores that he had from when he played in college. And he showed me one of them. And he said, take a look at that box score. Now that you know what the symbols mean, take a look at it. Tell me what's unique about this one. I'm looking at it and I'm studying it. And I'm trying to remember what he's told me about it. And I, I'm looking at it, and I go, holy crap, Dad, this is a no-hitter. And he said, yeah, I, I caught that game when I was in college, my senior year. I had a friend of mine who was a pitcher. He went on to play in the major leagues for a few years, but he pitched a no-hitter, and I was behind the plate. Man, that's a, like a once-in-a-lifetime thing to get to catch a no-hitter. That was cool. So I was really thankful for that. Um, when Dad died, I struggled with the grief process because I – I had a lot of responsibility. I had a wife. I had two young daughters. I was a teacher and a coach. Uh, we had moved back to Alabama to be closer to dad for his last, you know, year and a half. Um, and, uh, and so I didn't handle it well. Um, there were some times when I knew that the pain was going to be hard. And so I would uh, purposely plan for that. I have a big, heavy punch. I was the other, in addition, it's really ironic. I have a sunny disposition. I also used to have a hair trigger temper. And I don't know how the two things existed in the same human, but they did. I could go from happy to want to punch you in the face in about half a heartbeat. And so um, growing up, I punched a lot of things. I uh, punched my brother. I punched walls. I punched doors. And so finally, when I was 15, my parents bought me a big, heavy, like Rocky-style punching bag. I've still got it. I've taught my kids how to hit it um, because <laughs> some of my temper passed on to them. Um, and so there were times when I would just go beat the punching bag. I would hit it until my knuckles were bloody. And that's not an exaggeration. Like I can remember um, wrapping my hands up in ace bandage and just hitting it. Because that was the only thing that I could do in that moment. Yeah. It's the only way to get it out of you. Yeah. And when you, because grief, part of grief is anger. Yeah. And, you know, you've got the sadness, you've got the anger and all of that mixed into that grief soup and it's all yeah. there. And especially when you're younger, you don't, necessarily have the language for it and emotions <laughs> yeah. don't always no matter how smart language. you think you are <laughs> right and even even as an adult sometimes the language just escapes you which is why i think that you know and this is just a whole nother conversation but like when we lose the arts you know music mm -hmm. and, and yeah. poetry and those are like the language of no language you know what i mean yeah, they speak to us in ways that words don't 
Exactly. Exactly. And, and grief is like that, you know, Mm -hmm. where there's not always language to it, but you have to get it out. And so I think your parents did, did you such a a blessing by giving you a punching (laughs) bag (laughs) because I used to be full of rage, but I didn't have anything to hit. And so what I did was I turned it inward and took it out of myself internally. Mm. So I wish I would have had something to get it out, out externally, because at least you get it out, that energy comes out of you. So yeah, I was just way too arrogant to do that. I thought way too highly of myself to hate myself and turn it (laughs) inward. Um, but I, you know, I did, I, um, I, and I'm sorry that you weren't, that you didn't have that kind of outlet. Cause I, I can't imagine what that was like to have to do with that differently. Um, yeah. but yeah, my, my parents did, I was very thankful for that punching bag and still am, although I use it way less frequently than I, than I have, uh, most of my life, About honestly about seven or eight years ago when my now wife and I started dating, um, I'm a much different person now. And, and mm-hmm. a lot of that's because of her, a lot of that's because of things that, that God's taught me about myself. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that's because I look back and I, I have this in terms of the grief process. One big thing I remember is waking up one morning and I could almost audibly hear my dad's voice because dad died. And within about a year and a half is when I went through my divorce. And the two things were somewhat related because I became an even angrier, harsher person after I lost dad. And again, I took that out of my wife, my kids, my students, my soccer players, everybody who didn't deserve it. And, um, uh, but I can remember one day, maybe a year or two after he died, I remember almost audibly hearing his voice tell me one day, listen, son, you have got to stop blaming other people for your problems. You are where you are because of your choices. Where you go from here is also your choice. That is powerful. That's a Figure powerful message. Well, I think that's a huge message that unfortunately, and I, I mean this I mean this kindly, I think many people in our culture in America today are lacking that. Yes. Because it's so much easier to blame. I'm not saying that other people, that, they're, that everything's within your control. It's not. There are plenty of things outside your control. Right. But if you refuse to take any responsibility, you are always going to be miserable because you're always going to be blaming other people. And ultimately, that hurts you because you're therefore powerless. As, well, long, exactly. as, you're, as long as you're blaming others, you have no power to fix anything. And that's you a miserable way to live. And I yeah. always, and listeners, you know, he, he's speaking my language now. <laughs> I always say you always have a choice even if it's only how you respond even if it's only the choice of attitude even if it's only the choice of mindset you always have a choice in how you respond so i absolutely love that yeah well so that was one of those moments that really hit me um because it it allowed me to start moving forward in the sense of okay well at 25 26 i have made a royal mess of my life how can i put it back together well, let's start working down that road. And that's, and, and so, you know, I had a lot of help from, uh, I was very thankful and, you know, I'm a pretty outspoken Christian. I'm thankful for my faith. I'm very grateful for the church that I was a part of then. Uh, we're actually, the church we go to now is a daughter church of the church that I went to then. Um, so we planted this other church about 20 minutes away. And, um, you know, I'm thankful for the, uh, my, my family, my older brother, my younger sister, my mom. Uh, I'm thankful for some of my close friends that were around me. Uh, you know, at 26 years old, I spent a month living in my best friend's parents' basement after my mm-hmm. wife and I separated and before the divorce was final, that kind of stuff. That's not where you want to be as a 26-year-old with two kids. No, you don't want to be living. If, if your journey you know? is towards humility, which it looks like God was taking you on that journey, that is a long topic to talk about. <laughs> um, it's, it's funny. That's actually the subtitle, not the subtitle, but it's it's the focus of my leadership book, Inverted Leadership. Mm. It's called Lead Others Better by Forgetting About Yourself. Mm. And the leadership philosophy that I describe is called confident humility. Mm. In a nutshell, here's what that is. Confidence 
is not arrogance. Confidence is just knowing that you're good at something. If you say to me, Joel, are you a good teacher and soccer coach? And I say, yes, that's not arrogance. That's honesty. I know it's true because I've seen the results of it. There's evidence. Right? There's evidence. This is not my opinion. Now, when I was younger, it would have been arrogance because there was no evidence. I just assumed <laughs> I was. I've been doing it long enough now to where I say with, with total confidence and utter sincerity without meaning it any kind of braggadocio way, I'm good at those things. God has gifted me to be good at those things. I've mm -hmm. worked at it and I had some God's gifting in it. Okay, that's confidence. Humility is putting other people's needs before your own. C.S. Lewis says something along the lines of humility is not thinking you're better than, or sorry, it's not thinking uh, less of yourself. Humility is just thinking of yourself less often. It's putting other people's needs in front of your own, right? And so put those two together and it sounds like a paradox, confident humility, but really what it means is taking what you know you're good at, taking what you love, taking your passion and using that to serve other people. That's all it is. And, and so that's what I've tried to do from that moment in my life forward is say, okay, God's given me the ability to do X, Y, and Z. How can I serve other people with those things? Okay, well, I can, I can teach, I can coach, I can work with blended families, I can write, I can speak, um, you know, I, I, I can go back and apologize and ask forgiveness because I've learned that I wasn't right 100% of the time. I can therefore grant forgiveness to other people, right? Um, one of the stories that I love to tell from the stage uh, is of a 16th century English martyr. He was, um, before he was martyred, years before, he was walking through town and he saw a group of people being led to the gallows, right? They're, go they're going to be hanged for whatever crimes they've committed. And he says, there but for the grace of God go I. His name was Jonathan Bradford, right? Well, that's every one of us. The only thing separating us and the people that we look down on is God's grace. And, and that means I don't have any reason to be arrogant. I'm not any better than them. I've made different choices, but it's not because I'm better. It's because God, God gave me the grace to make different choices. I need to be thankful for where I am, not look down on other people because I've done so much better than them, right? That's not it. And, and so that's something that, again, that was life altering for me because it became less about how can I prove that Joel is great? And it became a lot more about nobody cares if Joel is great. How can Joel help? That's a very different Joel than it used to be. And I'm thankful for that. Um, and so part of that, I learned through the grieving process. It all goes yeah. back to that question you asked about, um, you know, just the, the, the grief and, and working <laughs> through it because that was, that was an altering moment. Um, yeah. I, I would want to say one other thing about it. And that is if you're dealing with that kind of grief, sometimes it's good to plan ahead when you're going to experience it. So for example, my dad's buried in the military cemetery in Chattanooga, Tennessee, because he was in the army. He had a full military funeral, 21 gun salute, folded flag, honor guard, the whole nine yards guy playing taps on a, uh, you know, on, on the trumpet or the bugle. And it was one of the saddest things I've ever experienced. I'm thankful for it. Um, but man, that was a hard day. Um, but any, for the first couple years after he died, anytime I would go to Chattanooga, I would just, block out about a three-hour window to go there by myself and just sit by his grave and just cry. And, and so sometimes it's good to plan that ahead of time because then you know that's when I'm going to work through a little bit of it. That's when I'm going to get some of the anger out. That's when I'm going to get some of the grief out. That's when I'm going to get some of the sadness out. And then I can go back to being husband or dad or whatever other hat I got to put on when I go yeah. home right now it's just it's just me and grief well and that's part of self-care you know and i think yeah. especially with men and i'm not a man i don't ever i've never been a man <laughs> but i do know having had a lot of experience with men from age 12 on yeah. <laughs> just saying whole nother story 
I know that men struggle with self-care because of the pressure of manhood on them yeah, and society and the whole, yeah. all of the stuff that goes, and maybe we can get into that next time you come back. Sure. I'd love to. to. I, <laughs> I love having those conversations. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> and I think it's really important for women and men, and part of my audience is men, um, mm-hmm. but I think for women as well to understand men in a way that is not judgmental and that is not assuming <laughs> You know, because yeah. a lot of women think because they've had sons or they are married or what have you, that they understand men. And there's a nuance in there that that's, men can only speak to men about that right. I've learned um, from my husband. But I think that I know for sure, what I know that I know is that men, the self-care part of life gets lost a lot. And yeah, less- well, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, yeah, we're, it's because we're supposed to be stoic. We have this cultural view that men are supposed to be tough and, and we're not supposed to show our emotions. And I just look, I tell students all the time, I say, listen, Jesus wept and John Wayne cried and great, great warriors in literature cried. George Washington wept both at the end of the civil or the uh, Revolutionary War and uh, after certain battles, you know, like Civil War generals on both sides cried uh, over law, fallen soldiers and lost friends. And like the idea that men aren't supposed to cry, I'm sorry, that's bullcrap. This, it is just bullcrap. It, it's, it's one of those things that's kind of become a truism that has no basis in fact. And that's something that I've really just, I've all, I, I'm, to be completely honest, I've always been a crier. So maybe that's just me being sissy biased. You can call it whatever you want to. But, um, but even that, see, even that right, right there though is sort of, you know, infused in there because I would yeah. have never even thought of that word to associate with crying with a crying man. Oh, For you me, know, that's totally what it, especially in like middle school boys, you're not supposed to cry. <laughs> And I just yeah. tell them, I say, listen, if, if you think you're tougher than all of these guys in history, if you, if you think you're tougher than World War II generals who wept over fallen soldiers, you're an idiot. That's all I can say. You're actually not that bright. If you in eighth, you know, in eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade, you think you're tougher than, than George Patton? You think you're tougher than Eisenhower? I mean, you're not that bright. Just come on, man. But that's something that I think a lot of men need to understand. Yeah. It, is, it is okay to cry. It's okay to show your emotions. It doesn't make you weak. Well, and they feel them too. Yeah. You know, a lot of men, they, they sort of, they shifted into that anger rather than feeling mm-hmm. the sadness. Oh, well, that's because anger is easy. Anger can be manly. Exactly. Like, exactly. That's, and so that's an easy <laughs> one. Like, that's, yeah, let's be angry. That's angry. That's, yeah. yeah. But the sad, the crying, like, oh, no, that's, that's you know, that's like, yeah. I don't know. One of my favorite movies growing up was the Disney Robin Hood. Uh-huh. The, uh, you know, the, the cartoon version. And there's a, a scene in there where the little rabbits talk with Maid Marian and, and she tries to give him a kiss. And he says, oh, that's sissy stuff. Because <laughs> it's emotional, you know, it's sappy and lovey-dovey. Right. And like, yeah, I'm just, I don't even care anymore. You know, yeah. I, I, I've stopped trying to impress people. If you want to think I'm a sissy because I cry, you are welcome to think that, man. But that's part of that care. confidence, though, that, that, that the humble confidence as well as when you know yourself and you can own who you are. There's no need to have to apologize for anything. Yeah. And for me, I just, and I, I think I brought it up because I just wanted to honor you for being that transparent <laughs> and vulnerable because not everybody can be that. And I, for my husband, I always make it a point. I'm always very intentional to honor mm. the display of emotion from mm. a man because it's, it's not celebrated enough. And so I just, mm. I always want to make a point to bring that up. So no, I I'm, definitely I'm want to sh- unpack it more. Yeah. I'm sure he appreciates that. I think that's great. That's uh, well, he, I think he that's knows a, he chose well, so, you know, <laughs> <laughs> good. I, that's a healthy marriage. That's wonderful. Exactly. Yeah, I think well, that's a great thing. Is, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, that's fair. So Joel, we have so much more to talk about, which is why I'm super glad that I already booked you for part two of this interview. So I'm so excited. Listeners, you are going to come back for part two. I know it because we've got so much more to unpack. But from this conversation, what is Mm -hmm. like one or two things that you want to really highlight and leave our listeners with to walk away from this conversation with? 
So a couple things. One is the personal responsibility thing, right? You have the choice how you how you think, how you act, how you react, right? You you may not be able to control what you feel every moment of every day, but you do get to choose which emotions you hang on to and which emotions you act out of. And the sooner you take responsibility for yourself and your choices, the sooner you can start making your life into what you want it to be. That's that's the first one. Um, the second one, and this is you know directed at guys specifically, but for everybody, um, don't don't be afraid of your emotions, uh, because ultimately the people who should love you the most are the ones who are going to do just like what you did, Michelle, which is to embrace that and, and honor that instead of ridiculing you or whatever. Um, and the other thing is like if people are going to give you a hard time for that crap, just don't be that around them. So what? Let them you know. And I don't mean that in a they're not worth your time because they're not worth it as people, but just don't worry about their opinion. It's not that. Uh, so I heard, I'll put it this way. I heard someone say this recently. They said, if it's not someone you would go to for advice, don't waste your time listening to their criticism. And I love that because there's a lot of, as a soccer coach, as a high school teacher, I'm going to get criticism from all sides. I hear it from parents who have never taught their kids a dang thing. I hear it from the kids who don't know a dang thing. I hear it from parents on the sidelines, right? Everybody thinks they know better than the teachers and the coaches and the whatever. Yeah, listen, unless you're willing to come do my job, I'm not really that interested in your opinion about how I'm doing about my job. And I don't say that as a condescending kind of a thing, but truthfully, you don't know what you're talking about, so I'm not really going to worry about it. I'm not going to ask someone who has no experience with kids, whether they're a parent or whether they've been a teacher for years, if you have no experience with children, don't tell me how to raise my kids. You don't know what you're talking about, right? So that, you know, that's part of it too is you, you should pick and choose who you take your advice from, right? But the other, and so the, here's the third point, which is don't be afraid to ask people who do know what they're talking about it's not a sign of weakness it's a sign of wisdom go out and ask people who know more than you to help you right those are so those are those are some things i'd love to, to leave the listeners with i absolutely love that i love all of it all of it all of it joel that has been you've been you've like i said you've been dropping wisdom bombs this whole time so listeners if you need to listen again please do it because <laughs> i think i will as well um if people want to find you and i'll put links in the show notes at all and but um just mention you know where mm -hmm. they can find you if they want to get more if they sure. want to get your books all that stuff yeah so the books are available on amazon or uh and this is a secret if you really want them just email me i'll send you a pdf copy for free you can put it on your e-reader it's not going to hurt my feelings any for you to have it if you want it i want you to have it but the so the easiest way to find me is connect with me on social media i'm on facebook twitter instagram linkedin under joel w hallbaker the name is just like it sounds h-a-w baker hallbaker you can find me there or you can find me at my website joelwhallbaker.com you find me at realliveleading.com or stepdadding.com. They're all mine. They're all, uh, they got different stuff on them, but you, you know, there's contact Joel or email Joel forms on all of them. So send me an email, shoot me a message on social media. I would love to chat with you about anything we've talked about. Um, you know, let's talk Tolkien. Let's talk baseball. Let's talk emotions. Let's talk blended families. I like to chat. Let's chat. Let's, you know, connect. All the things. All yeah, the things. Thank you. And like I said, I'll put the, all the links in the show notes. So as you know, listeners, I say, click and go, click and go, click and go. And I can attest to the fact that he is just as genuine and truthful as he is in this conversation in, I can't say real life because we've never met in person, but online social media friends, he is. <laughs> so I can attest to that. Joel, I am so thankful that you were able to come on tonight and work with me through all of my technical stuff. <laughs> Yeah. And I am so looking forward to our next conversation. So listeners, be on the lookout for part two because it's going to get even better. And go ahead. 
No, I just want to say thank you. I've had a great time. Uh, I, I love, like I said, I love doing interviews, but I especially love chatting with someone uh, who's easy to chat with. So thank you for having me on. Uh, and again, any of your listeners that would like to connect, I would love to do that. Um, that'd be great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And listen, I encourage you to do so. It's all, this is so fun. And that's why I'm so glad you're coming back because I love fun conversations. Yep. <laughs> so listeners, as I always say, keep walking, always keep walking. Because if you continue to walk, you will reach your destiny. And mm. on the journey, always, always choose gratitude. Mm.